How can we better equip ourselves to take on the new day, our goals, and the world? How do we stoke our inspiration? By dropping in, we'll hear from credible experts on ways to thrive in this environment. As persons trying to cope, as workers learning to pivot in our careers, and as those curious about life, wellness, family, healing, and humor, we'll learn by sharing stories. Like the watering hole, dropping in is a communal place. People who've had the courage to tell their stories offer the nuggets they've gathered along the way. They bring us the spark to confront what matters. Everybody everywhere is on a hero's journey of trying to survive and do well. Stories from these diverse sources pave the way, even if the paths are new or unknown. Drop in with us to discover the roots and where we go from here. And now, here's our host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's a moment for empowerment, not just for women, with the first woman to be elected as the vice president of the United States, but for everyone, for all people. When we look around and wonder, what can we do to strengthen ourselves? Look no further than our amazing guest this morning, Tori Eldridge, who holds a fifth degree black belt in Tochin Do Ninjutsu, and I'll have help with those pronunciations, and an additional black belt in Korean martial arts. She is the author of a searing new mystery, The Ninja's Blade, published by Polis Agora Press. It's the second in a series of Lily Wong mysteries. Tori, by example, shows us how to get our focus and our mojo back, not to mention our physical power. Welcome, Tori. Awesome to have you with us. If only we could see some of your moves. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great fun. Hey, Diane, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's lovely to be with you. Um, let's talk about the ninja way of life because, you know, I feel like uh, there's a history to it. There's a past to it, but there's also a present. There's a real ninja culture. There's a real ninja way of being. What is the ninja way of life? What does it mean to be a ninja today? Wow, that is a great question. I haven't had anybody ask me that. That is fabulous. Um, To begin with, I'm going to have to speak solely from my perspective because there are, goodness, uh, thousands upon thousands of us all around the world leading different lives, pursuing the ninja arts through different teachers and different uh, channels and interpreting and embodying it in very different ways. So... I'll start by saying that the ninja arts um, were passed down through nine different lineages to one grandmaster, Takamatsu Sensei, who passed it down to Hatsumi Sensei. And now there are so very many uh, teachers spreading this through the world, including my teacher, Stephen K. Hayes, who... Um, left Ohio to go and, you know, train way back in, I believe, the 70s and and really brought awareness of this art to the Western world. And so, you know, there's this very deep, ancient um, practice and techniques and strategies and philosophies and a tie to the Tendai Buddhist monks, um, to all sorts of things from feudal Japan. But now, here we are in modern day, and we're training in this art. And one of the many themes that we have in this art is to draw from everything around us and adapt 
and fit in and win, you know, against adversity and to persevere. And we do this, you know, many times uh, in the shadows, quietly, without fanfare. Of course, now that I've written these books, I can't even believe how many times I've said, yes, I'm a modern-day ninja. It's very peculiar. Um, but it, to me, it's a very empowering thing. It's a way of looking at the world, cutting through as best I can, cutting through delusion, and looking at things as honestly and clearly as they can, uh, manipulating the energy around me for the best outcome and the most harmonious, empowering life. That's so cool. Well, I... I love that there's so many layers to it. There's so many dimensions to it. The physical dimension, the self-defense dimension of martial arts, and that that's there. But um, let, let's give the listeners a little uh, biography. Tori Mayotoshi Eldridge holds a fifth-degree black belt in Toshin Do Ninjutsu, and the contemporary evolution is founded by Stephen Hayes. Um, <clears throat> and he's... Got he, his approach. I, I was reading about him, the four foundations of movement, um, four specific physio emotional responses to attack. There's earth holding ground, water tactically repositioning, fire intercepting, and wind evading are four key ways of movement to explore in your beginning of Toshindo. I mean, this is. This is lovely. I mean, it's 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 elements. Um, it's elements that you know. When my yoga teacher begins class, she calls into the four directions. I mean, it's somehow in the ether now that we're leaning to some of these in Eastern philosophies um, to restore calm, to restore focus, to gather our strengths, and I. I wondered if you, uh, here's an, a little bit more. Tori has taught Taijutsu, tai ninja body techniques, archaic and modern weapon use and disarmament, self-defense and empowerment to students ranging from military and law enforcement to moms and kids. Tori enhances her awareness and inner calm with Tendai Buddhist practices and daily meditation. After years of intensive study, she was awarded the warrior name Mayotoshi for Warrior of the Unfathomable Blade to signify her deeply layered nature and never ceasing quest for hidden ninja secrets. I'm so honored that you're here with us today. And when you're on this quest and you're, you're looking for clarity, which goodness knows we all need at this point, um, how do you go about it? Is it your daily practice of meditation? Are you engaged in further study? Do you have a sensei that you work with? What's the physical dimension? Give us some insight into <laughs> the daily life of a ninja. <laughs> Goodness. Well, let's see. I start every morning with a daily meditation. I have been meditating since I was 12 in uh, one form or another. So when I began uh, training in uh, Toshindo, I was very enthused to see that uh, meditation was a big 
part of the practice because it tied in with, you know, what I was always doing. So I'm also a big believer in mindfulness and mindful living. And so that to me is key for seeing things clearly and maintaining a calm mind so that I don't live in a state of reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially explosive reaction, which I think is very important right now. So I begin the day yes. with a meditation before I even set foot out of my bed. I set my, my intention for a calm and focused and centered mind, and then I go about my day. And so when I feel, anytime I feel uh, emotions kick in or um, reactions, uh, automatic reactions, triggering effects kicking in, I remind myself, oh, step back, uh, take a breath, and and find that inner calm, and let's see things clearly. And so it's not something that's a one and done, right? It's a, it's a way of going about life to constantly check in with myself. Oh, how am I feeling? Oh, am I getting carried away in something? Oh, am I, are my emotions leading me somewhere away from you know, the clear picture, and I'm constantly checking in. And it's interesting what you said about the elements. This is um, Stephen K. Hayes and Rumiko Hayes, his wife. They're the founders of Toshindo Ninjutsu, and it's, it's their way of um, teaching these practices and grouping them into these elements to better assist the Western mind, right, in, in grasping what is a very deep and all-encompassing practices. Not all ninja practitioners uh, study through an elemental uh, you know, uh, form, but but he does, and I found it very helpful. We also have the void, so we have earth, water, uh, earth, water, fire, wind, and void. And the void is a place of true creativity, and mm-hmm. that's a place of being open to everything. And and really, I think that's the place where I try and live the most, where I'm just not being pulled in any direction and I can see things clearly and I can, or as best I can. And I have that uh, freedom to, to move within there. And so I think that's a very interesting thing. I also practice yoga uh, almost daily. And so, yes, there's all these overlaps. And, and of course, I'm, you know, half Chinese, just about. And, and we have our own elements, but then that tends to be, you know, more wood, metal, fire, that kind of a thing. But I think any kind of elemental, um, you know, paradigm helps mm-hmm. us with the way we're looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Well, we're in a state of high anxiety now. So I think anything mm. that is um, centering or brings us back to mindfulness and redirects the energies, because speaking for myself, I, I do find myself getting much more reactive um, since COVID hit, since all of these tensions arise, since our daily life isn't the same anymore. And you do revert to a kind of, I don't know, you get, you know, triggered by things that it's like, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm getting bothered by something that's ridiculously small. And I think that, you know, it's, if you can call back into self-mastery of your thoughts, even, let alone your, your physicality and your strengthening, um, I think that's really vital at a point, you know, now. Um, And reading this book about Lily Wong, okay, Lily Wong is a ninja. She's a modern day ninja. I I also wondered, she she 
puts her self-defense techniques to very good use on the side of the good and the right. And thank goodness, um, she's a modern-day heroine. I mean, she's also a tough cookie. I wonder if there's any more of these nice traditional girls left in the world. I'm just so happy to see these heroines springing out of the page. But Tori, when you are writing and you, you know, we're talking about the void and maybe the receptive place in you where your, you know, creativity is springing. Do you see yourself identifying with Lily Wong? Is she is an, an extension or a projection of you? Are you one in the same? How, how, how does that dynamic work? Mm. Yeah, Lily is most definitely her own woman. <laughs> she mm-hmm. is she is not me. That is that is clear. But she does um the creation of her I drew very heavily from my own uh background and my heritage and I would say in many cases my point of view. So I'm Chinese, Hawaiian, Norwegian from Honolulu. Mm -hmm. My father was from North Dakota, just like Lily's father. He's Norwegian from North Dakota. My mother was Chinese Hawaiian from Maui. Lily's mother is a Hong Kong immigrant, and she's uh, heavy into finance. She's a a very very intelligent, uh, strong woman uh, working in, in Los Angeles. And my parents met and married in Tokyo, so even on top of the huge Japanese influence in living in Hawaii, there was this added cultural emphasis because my parents lived in Tokyo and my sisters were both born there and that was you know, integrated into our lives. So we had these cultures, the, the Chinese, the Midwest, right, uh, Norwegian, we had the Japanese, and of course we had the Hawaiian, but I'm not including that into Lily Wong. So I really wanted to share this rich heritage and dive into that in a, you know, a real individual way, you know, how that is for Lily. You know, she's not a woman divided by her heritage. She's a woman defined by it and motivated by it. And uh, family is, is huge for her. And family was huge for me, but not in the same way for her. I mean, she's 25. She's not a, a lone wolf, typical, you know, detective who's whatever dis, uh, estranged from his family or avenging their murder or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got Sunday dinners. <laughs> she lives above her Norwegian father's Chinese restaurant. You know, you have to read the book to figure out that one, right? But, you know, all these things really, are the integrated. smells are really good, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Doesn't it make you hungry? <laughs> it does. I've downloaded the recipes from your website. Don't worry. But please, go on. <laughs> so, um so that's hugely important. Also, I've lived in Los Angeles for 35 years, and, and I've lived all over Los Angeles, and I love this city. It's a very interesting city, and it's a macrocosm of Lily's own cultural makeup uh, because we have you know, so many uh, cultures. It's such a diverse and rich city. And I, I like, uh, she, she journeys in both of my books, The Ninja's Blade and The Ninja Daughter. She is journeying into all uh, sorts of neighborhoods in Los Angeles that you don't usually get to see. And then, of course, there is the martial arts background. I suppose, you know, at the core of everything for me in this book, even though she is not me, um, is authenticity. 
right? Mm-hmm. Every, I wanted the fight scenes to be authentic. I wanted the ninja training to be authentic. Uh, there's a chapter in Ninja's Blade that takes place in a boxing ring while she's fighting. Well, I used to train in boxing. You know, whatever, you know, whatever the things are in here, whether it's the ninja training or the cultural or the exploration of Los Angeles, I want it to come from an authentic place. Right. And I mean, she, I love that then the multi, multicultural dimension um, is motivating, as you say. It isn't something, you know, it, it's, it is empowering. It gives you uh, an identity that's stronger than the sum of its parts, you know, and, and the fact that Lily is so family oriented. Um, I think, you know, she is not necessarily true grit avenging the death of a, a parent, but she is suffering from PTSD because her sister has um, has had, a, a, well, she, she's met with a tragic end. And there is a sense of her Lily becoming disconnected from life, um, disconnected from relationships from the moment that her sister uh, met with her 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 end, and you know that that does happen. Um, but before we leave, actually, the Tory <laughs> Tory Eldridge, the actual <laughs> author person, the real person here, um, and believe me, Lily was very real in my mind. I'll give us um, a little bit more background. Tori performed as an actress, singer, and dancer on Broadway, television, and film. She is of Hawaiian, Chinese, Norwegian descent, as you mentioned, and you were born and raised in Honolulu, where you graduated from Punahou School with classmate Barack Obama. This is auspicious. Tori holds this... (laughs) Fifth degree black belt in ninjutsu, and you've traveled the U.S. teaching seminars in the ninja arts, weapons, and women's self-protection. I wonder if I may, uh, you know, obviously Lily is, she's she's utilizing her martial arts. She's um, coming to the rescue of um, victims of sexual trafficking in the book, and you yourself are um, in one of your is one of your outlets for the proceeds of the book is for the protection of victims of sexual trafficking. I do, I do think that there's some kind of a thread interweaving between Tori Eldridge and Lily Wong, and it does bring an authenticity to, to the character. Um, and I, I also wondered if you identified with an episode in your life that prompted you to go into the ninja arts, or was it just part of your culture and, a fine blend that you incorporated it. Ah, that that's interesting. Um, you know, I always had an interest in the martial arts ever since I was uh, a kid, but I got into dance very early on. And my mother, she was <laughs> she had a, a rather hard-nosed attitude about certain things and you know, I was very athletic and so, you know, I would take a a sport in PE, and we'd get a call from the coach. Does Tori want to join the diving team? Does she want to join the soccer team? Does she want to join the gymnastics team? And my mother would always say, sure, but you have to choose. You know, so the only reason I was ever on a gymnastics team was that it preceded dance. After dance, every offer that came up, it was, sure, you can do that, but you have to choose. So, I never got into martial arts, and, and, you know, when you're dancing, you know, in Broadway musicals, it's incredibly taxing on your body, and so there's a limit to what 
your body can handle in a given day. And so I never went there into martial arts until I had retired from dance and put my son into it, uh, into karate, and I was watching this going, oh, my gosh, I could totally do this. (laughs) And, uh, and of course, I did yeah, I, I did. And it, it was it was crazy. Like the first day I was the, the teacher was freaking out over everything I could do. So he was it was a mixed rank class. So we had people all the way up to one step away from black belt. So in my first, you know, martial arts class, I was doing jump spinning, heel kicks and sparring. <laughs> so it, I it love was it. insane. It, it was that is insane. That is insane, Tori. I mean, I'm I'm inspired. Well, when we come back from the commercial break, um, we're going to find out how we can possibly incorporate some ninja, ninja attitude into our own lives, because you never know when you might have to stop dancing and actually defend yourself. The book is... The Ninja's Blade, it's dedicated to Tony and Austin. I'm glad to hear that one of those two people presumably motivated you into martial arts. And we'll be back in just a moment with Tori Eldridge. Don't go away. We'll be back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion. Representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Tori Eldridge, author and ninja mom, and all around, I'd say, warrior for authentic thinking, for clarity. And thank you, Tori, for a great book. If you want to go through the whole um, experience and culture of being a ninja warrior, there is Lily Wong to introduce you. And um, I mentioned before the break that the book is dedicated to Tony and Austin. I've just subsequently found out more from you, Tori, about the experience of your eldest son, Fill us in a little bit about that. That's true. So uh, Tony is my husband, and Austin is my youngest son. And the first book, The Ninja Daughter, was dedicated to my parents, who recently passed away. And so I, I dedicated the second book to Tony and Austin because I really wanted to dedicate the third book to my son, Stouffer, his wife, Joey, and our soon-to-be-expected little one, Moana. And the reason for that, I know, it's so exciting. And the reason for that is uh, Stouffer 
fell in love and married a woman from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Of of all the coincidences, I had already been writing The Ninja Daughter and had envisioned Lily's mother and was writing about her when Stouffer had just met this woman. And so it was so interesting that my books um, came out of, you know, my own experience and heritage, but then the fiction started playing with my reality. Great, <laughs> and all it's of a magic. Sudden I have a... Yeah, I have a daughter-in-law and this whole wonderful in-law family in Hong Kong. And so they're about to um, give birth to, like I said, my first grandchild, Moana, and she'll be born in Shanghai. Wow. How cool. Well, you know, do do the in-laws know that they're going to be material for your next book? Um, (laughs) That sometimes happens with (laughs) families. They're like, are you writing this down? Yeah. Oh, totally. In fact, the third Lily Wong book goes to Hong Kong. Oh, cool. All right, we're going to yeah. be able to travel with you, and that will be really exciting. I wondered, in your travels, your research for these books, did you feel as though you were going down uh, a trip of memory lane or cellular memory lane? I mean, do you, did you feel resonance with the places that you were, that you were researching? I always find resonance in things. You know, again, I think that's an interesting thing about a ninja perspective. I'm continually finding gems and messages and signs and resonance in everything around me. Um, I read a book, just happenstance, and it is the perfect book for me to have read at that moment. Mm -hmm. I see a show, and it's the perfect show. I meet a person. It's the perfect person. And I think, I used to think, wow, I'm just surrounded by astounding coincidence. But no, I don't think that's it at all. I think part of it is uh, what I'm drawing in and what I'm attracted too. And I think the other thing is being able to recognize what is resonant and what is important out of anything around me. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I find that in, in all of these locations. And of course, with the Ninja's Blade, the entire story came out of extensive research. And all of that was so inspiring to me. Well, it's the life force, really. I mean, it's something that, you know, you can connect to. And as you say, you're you're really involved with the process of um, managing your energies and living through times like this where, you know, people are in a heightened state of, you know, the things they say or the things we hear on the news. It's such a crazy heightened level of um, rhetoric and um, just hyperbole and People are saying things they don't really even mean. And, you know, to get to the bottom of it all really requires some discipline, some focus, some stealth, um, all of which, you know, is incorporated in the in the ninja philosophies, it seems to me. So, and I want to get to wear the outfits that you do, too. If you want to see Tori Eldridge uh, on her website, torieldridge.com, it's very interesting. The blades, the archaic and the modern weaponry that you talk about are there. I wondered, I couldn't help but wonder, Tori, whether you've ever had to actually use your self-defense skills. Mm, I get asked that question a lot. My answer is always, I use them every single day, but not in the way that you think. 
Mm-hmm. So most people are asking, what they're really asking me is, have you been attacked and have you used ninja skills to defend your life and escape from attack? That's usually what people are asking when they ask this question, but usually what I'm answering when I hear this question is um, I'm using strategies and techniques that apply to physical altercations to emotional um, interactions. Mm -hmm. And there is a huge crossover. And we train in Toshindo to make those connections. And, you know, I I even have written nonfiction about, you know, creating these connections. And, And so I most definitely used it when I was raising my sons and uh, even now uh, with my husband and, uh, as you were saying, interacting with people on social media or, you know, interacting with people with, you know, dramatically different attitudes and uh, or if anybody, you know, is coming at you with this uh, incredible energy. I even use this uh, while driving a car. Mm-hmm. This happened a long time ago. I was going around PCH, really windy, dangerous section of roads. There have been cars that have driven off the, the cliff here many a time. And Pacific I'm Highway, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm driving on this and a driver pulls I used to live in Malibu and we used to call this the Malibu U turn, which is they're parked on the side of the road and they just decide to pull out in a U turn and go the other direction. And this uh, driver decided to do that across a double yellow line around a curve. And ah. it was like, holy cow. I know, right? And on our side, it was two lanes uh, to make it even worse. I mean, he's crossing two lanes across a double yellow line to go the other direction in a one-lane direction. It was astounding. And as I'm driving on the left-hand side, I'm watching this happen. And so I remember I said ninjutsu is about fitting in, right? So I fit in with the curve of his trajectory Mm -hmm. until he realized his error. And then I swerved around that and back into my lane and continued on my way well before the oncoming car had a chance to, to come through. And I did it all and I looked back, I checked in with myself, and my heart rate hadn't even accelerated. It was as though I was just going, oh, yeah, you know, let's just get out of the way of the trash can in the middle of the road, you know, whatever. And, and, and we kept driving, and I, yeah, and I turned to my son, and I said, did you see what happened? And he went, hmm, you know, because he was really young at that time. And I went, oh, look how calm he is. You know, he doesn't realize that we were almost just killed. Have you considered auditioning for the next female James Bond? Because I think you have the right mindset and I think you'd be <laughs> fabulous at it. Really. I mean, just fantastic. Um, because, you know, it is something where, yes, we can get ourselves into a state of incredible agitation. What's the point? I mean, in order to solve, resolve, disengage some of this, you know, the kind of violent, potentially violent energy that's coming, you know, in order to do that, you you have to offer something else, right? You have to offer the compliment, the opposite. Um, and I think that, you know, we are in a state where you do have to ratchet down the drama, ratchet down the heat of so many moments. So, 
it's just fascinating to me, you know, you're using that kind of bending that curve of that energy and traffic. I mean, it's just kind of, it's really awesome. I want to mention too, no, the whole thing is really, it's, it's so, such an eye opener. It's so enlightening um, to be acquainted with first book uh, by Tori Eldridge, the ninja, the ninja's daughter. Um, you know, you're, you're quite a, you have quite a, li- a list of accomplishments here in all the facets that you, you're all of your arenas. But so the accolades for the Ninja Daughter, your first book in the Lily Wong series, won um, Anthony Award for Best First Novel. A left uh, award. Nominated. Nom- nominated. Nominated for an Anthony nominated. Award. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, here we are. <laughs> this is the one that you, that it did receive, 2019 Thriller Book of the Year from the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We're all about, you know, global networks here and radio. Um, it's how we really connect by voice. It was named one of the best mystery books of 2019 by the South Florida Sun Sentinel uh, and many other nominations. So right out of the gate, you had something there. Uh, and I think in the first book, uh, the, the Ninja Daughter, you, uh, you do describe the, the it's, it's actually a rape and killing of Lily Wong's sister. And this is an, this occurrence, this tragedy, is something that then Lily Wong has PTSD. She perseverates on this. She can't, she, she can't forgive herself for not coming to the defense, to the aid of her sister. So there's, there's a, an incredible amount of guilt. Um, and I wondered about your understanding of PTSD, how you came to it, how did you learn about it? Um, because this perseveration I found it was very authentic in the second book, The Ninja's Blade, where Lily, she can't become intimate again. She's, she's drawn and attracted to a very lovely man, Daniel, but she's having issues with like getting there. Because you can't forgive yourself when something like that happens. How did you learn about those those kinds of phenomenons? Well, let's see. In the in the Ninja Daughter, she's really dealing with a lot of, I, I suppose you would say, unearned guilt. And in the Ninja's Blade, she's suffering right from the start. Uh, PTSD effects from the climactic ending of the ninja daughter. And, and of course, she doesn't believe the PTSD at all. You know, that's something that uh, her wonderful friend Alicia, who runs Alicia's Refuge for um, uh, Women, uh, Women in Need, she's the one who's telling Lily that is PTSD. And of course, Lily is like not having any of that because that's for warriors, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. for military heroes. That's, that's what that's about. It's not for people like Lily. So she has a hard time putting a grasp on that. But I'll start with the the concept of unearned guilt. Um, That's an interesting one. When I grew up, guilt was something that my father obsessed on. He, (laughs) it was a huge issue for him. It was a huge issue in things that he was working through in his family and what he believed was put on him and his rallying against it. And it was a topic of conversation (laughs) all the time, something he was really working through. And so because uh, of his I think, choices or, or, or why was he experiencing uh, that? You know, he had this, this perception that his uh, mother was putting on this incredible guilt on him. And so there, there was that. And I think, 
you know, um, all sorts of things. But it was, it was probably the singular topic running through, obsessing in his mind, you know, in the background, percolating, motivating a lot of things was this rage against guilt, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of an interesting thing. So it's a topic on which I think I've put a lot of thought on. And as far as Lily, you know, especially coming from uh, a Chinese family, um, you know, all families have responsibility to each other and love for each other. But there's also that kind of traditional emphasis on the eldest looks out for the youngest and it's, you know, there's a duty and an obligation. And Lily, she went to college and she went and lived at college and she didn't have to. She was in the same city and she did. And there are other things that make her feel that um, she let down her sister and could have been there. And so it motivates her to become, in essence, a big sister to a city. Now, this isn't what the Ninja Daughter is about. This happened seven years in the past, but this is the motivating thing that Lily is, you know, it derailed her life. She changed the course of it and decided to apply her martial arts to a very singular, very real effort. And so that's what drives her through there. With the ninja's blade, Lily is a very introspective person. She's constantly checking in with herself. Am I going across the line? Am I going too far? And she meets somebody in the first book that really shows a mirror to herself and really concerns her that she might be like that. And it's something that she's constantly analyzing. And so... This is something that has come to a climax at the very start of The Ninja's Blade. And so, by the way, you don't need to have read The Ninja Daughter to read The Ninja's Blade. You can dive right into The Ninja's Blade, and you will feel like you've been dropped into her family, her story, everything. You won't miss a beat. But yeah, this but I'm is going her- back and reading it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I have a lot of people who started with a ninja's blade, and then they're like, oh, I love it. I have to go back and read Ninja Daughter, which is mm-hmm. perfectly cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally down with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So but, when but it comes we, to PTSD... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. We're dropped well, into the world, when, yes. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to PTSD, uh, I have a lot of, a lot of friends, and also former uh, students um, who were and are in the military, and so... Um, I pay attention. I pay attention to them. I pay attention to their stories. And then, of course, I did an awful lot of research about it so that I could just pull, like, you know, little little bits of what Lily might be suffering, you know, because, sure. of course, this is all very individual. You know, I'm not speaking to every person in the world who has had PTSD. I'm talking about Lily mm-hmm. and how these things are affecting her. Well, it has to be personal to have an impact. I, I really agree with that. And having just passed vet, Veterans Day and our time of being conscious of PTSD and, and the after effects uh, of, of war are, are still with us, actually. But Rage Against Guilt, I'm down with that. that, <laughs> that that's a program I could get on board with for sure. And we all have it for some reason, you know, one reason or another. Um, guilt for not 
um, meeting expectations of elders, guilt for, you know, not being there, things. And I think your beautiful expression of unearned guilt and the examination of that, that's a real contribution. And actually, it is why I want to go back and read The Ninja Daughter. Um, what an interesting, what an interesting conversation. And my ears doubly perked up in this book. Because we wind up in the world of sexual trafficking of young girls. Um, And at one point, I volunteered for an organization called Redefining Refuge, which was a refuge for formerly uh, sexually trafficked young girls. So when we come back from the break, I know it doesn't sound like the most enticing thing, but we've got to try to understand the root of evil here, as your friend Faith Snowden did last week. Um, such an interesting topic. And how does this happen? We'll be right back with Tori Eldridge and such interesting um, reflections on uh, the world of the ninja warrior inside all of us, potentially. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Tori Eldridge, and she's giving us some tools to work with, some tools to help de-escalate some of the rising tensions that are around us all the time Um, and, you know, ways of gaining mastery, self-mastery, and also ways to deflect traffic accidents, as it happens, Uh, all kinds (laughs) of calamities that could be, you know, befall us. And I mean that in a sort of a metaphorical sense, like accidents that could happen if we didn't, like, take that moment and try to reset and recalibrate the situation. So thank you for that. Thank you for a beautiful book, The Ninja's Blade. And thank you for this character, Lily Wong. She goes to bat for um, the disappearance of a young girl in her community. Um, And and she goes to bat for uh, victims of sexual trafficking. Many of us have sat around wondering, how does this happen? And I mentioned before the break, I, I worked with some, uh, I worked as a volunteer in um, creative arts therapy with girls as young as 12 who had been sexually trafficked and most of whom were 13, 14, 15, but already had seen too much of the world and too much of the evil side of the world. I wondered about 
this. And I think that you, Tori, gave us a gift by accurately depicting, um, I mean, I know this from accounts from these girls, how how they got involved. You You talk about love. Girls, adolescent girls are in need of love. They're promised love by a pimp. They're promised love by somebody that they don't know is a pimp, but that they meet up with somehow and are drawn into the sphere, drawn into the vortex emotionally. Talk to us a little bit more about how that happens, how you found out about it. Sure, and thank you about that. Yeah, um, I knew I wanted to dive into this topic. I touched on it a bit in The Ninja Daughter, and I knew I wanted to delve more deeply into it. So before I set out writing The Ninja's Blade, it all began with research, a couple months' worth of it. I didn't have any characters. I didn't have a plot in mind. I just knew it was going to happen in this world. And so I began researching articles, videos, podcasts, um, you know, survivor accounts, police accounts, all manner of things. And uh, what I became very apparent to me were all the myriad ways that these girls, our girls, everybody's girls, are at risk of being lured, coerced, tricked, forced, kidnapped into this horrible life. And from all of these different uh, methods, I started to hear all these different accounts and meeting some of these, these girls and characters started popping into my head characters mm-hmm. with backgrounds and collectively these girls in my head <laughs> um, encapsulated many of these myriad situations and um, you know, from different communities and in different ways. And that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to, to really show uh, individual perspectives of what's happening and and connect with that empathetically and emotionally and tell those stories through these um, amazing characters that I grew to love. Some of them infuriated me, no end, but... um, and they were surprising. They were surprising to me. That's something that's real, a real theme in the Ninja's Blade is this element of surprise. You meet a character and you will have... Uh, a certain impression of them, and you will believe certain things about them, and then you will learn more, and your opinions will change. And they may even do that for Lily. You may have an opinion of Lily, and that may change. And this happens throughout the book constantly with mm-hmm. every one of the characters, where you, you make a decision about them based on the information you have. You learn more information. Perhaps your, you know, your opinion and your perspective changes a lot like life, eh? <laughs> A lot like life. You make a snap judgment, as Lily does in the opening scene of the book, about who who these Hispanic um, guys are that are chasing kids um, down the street. And it, it turns out she's got it all wrong. She she intervenes and she, she's got it all wrong. So now she's, you know, broken, broken the knee and, um, you know, killed the crotch of this perfectly, you know, a law enforcement person. You know, I really, I love this because, you know, thank goodness other people make these kinds of boo-boos from snap judgments. We all do. We all find out, you know, I was wrong about that. 
I thought that on my presuppositions, my categorizations, even my stereotypes. We think we don't have them. We do. We have certain profiles. They need to be upset. And I think it's great that you you uncovered this in, in these books. And and also, you know, I, I, I think we all want to take a karate chop, you know, to, to people who are luring, as you say, young girls into this uh, world, this dark world of sexual trafficking. There are shocks. There are surprises. It comes sometimes these girls come out of incredibly well-to-do communities, as one of them does in The Ninja's Blade. And I think that, you know, here in the Tampa Bay area, it's because of the cruise ships. There was always a huge sexual trafficking operation going on here. Now that COVID's hit, cruise ships are not as active or defunct. So I, of course, speculate, you know, are some of those girls in safe hands? We'll never know. The, the possibility of going back is extremely intense because a 13-year-old has now been on the street and basically had her own business, even though she's not seeing, you know, the prophets, basically, the pimp is. But back to the story of these characters and the ones who are part of the, the dragnet, they're part of the lure into the world, the dark world. Some of them are women. And you've illustrated that in the book. Some of them are women. How does that happen? Yeah, well... Hmm. There, there's something called a bottom, right? That they're, they're recruiters. And, you know, many times a sex trafficker will use one of his prostituted girls as a recruiter for others and to, to draw them in. And it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation. And it's a complex situation. And I think this is the kind of thing that I really, this is what interests me, these mm-hmm. complex issues. What is behind the, behind the, behind the, behind motivation that's going on? What is the bigger picture? What are the things about this situation that I'm not seeing? This is the kind of thing that interests me as a person, that interests me as a writer. And so I'm constantly delving into that with all of these different characters. And each of these characters that are in here, as well as Lily Wong herself, have those kinds of layers of, oh, oh, there's that. Hmm. Oh, there's that. And it gives you kind of a, you know, a deeper view into their very individual life. Because I keep saying individual because, you know, that's the key. It's not about characterization. It's not about stereotype. It's not about, you know, having a place marker character who is speaking for everybody. No, these are people. They're individual people with lives and particular uh, things that uh, motivated them and situations that got to to this point. So these are the things that I like to investigate, and I use my characters to gain in there. What you said about Lily also making mistakes, um, this is an important thing right now, especially in today's racial climate. Mm -hmm. We need, um, you know, to, to get past this, to get through this and find a world uh, that is more peaceful and equal and respectful. 
it begins with looking in on ourselves, right? We have to make this inner change. And so I, I'm a great believer in checking in with myself. How am I feeling about this? What am I looking at? Are there any opinions I've held that I need to update? Are there any that I need to change? Are there new things that I'm learning based on new information that widens my point of view and changes something? And this is something Lily does as a person, she's continually doing this, and it's something that she does throughout the Ninja's Blade um, as she gets, you know, more and more of these pieces. And so I think that's, you know, for me, you know, probably the most interesting thing about, you know, about this this book. And, and what's interesting is that you're diving into this really dark, gritty situation, and yet I, I hope it's loads of fun because mm-hmm. she's got her, you know, these adorably meddlesome grandparents coming in from Hong Kong to make her poor mother's 50th birthday a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of this, there's this budding romance and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Lily's own cute. sardonic humor. So it's not all grim and, <laughs> and yeah. harsh, but, but no. there's a lot. It, you know, it's real, I hope, you know. It's, it's very real. There's layers of paradox. And lest we think that mystery writers are just involved in solving crimes, you can see by the inner workings of Tori Eldridge's mind that it's really involved with lots of really, you know, crucial life questions. And I think that that's what, you know, makes an access for a book like this, what makes it turn, what makes it exciting. Um, I think, um, you know, the other thing is that I had to do, I was prompted to do a little bit of research, and it turns out that there are a lot of women who have been sexually trafficked who then become recruiters, Ghislaine Maxwell calling you from the Jeffrey Epstein circle, um, you know, become part of this organization of um, recruiting members to satisfy a boyfriend that might be the pimp. There are all kinds of strange explanations for why people do things. And there's layers that we know if we're to solve anything that we really kind of need to try to understand. Thank goodness that you've given us a book and the means to to really kind of try to do that. You are a believer in visualization and these books, the Lily Wong series, could be such a great movie. You've casted it on your website. Do you believe, we have now just a couple of minutes left, believe it or not, do you believe that visualization is a powerful tool? Oh, tremendously so. You know, my background, I I began as an actress, and then uh, when writing, I started in screenplays. And when you're writing screenplays, it's about what you can see. Um, and so that's what goes on the page is, devi- is, you know, trying to paint with words and set up what the audience will see that will convey the character and the story and drive it forward. And I think a lot of that uh, shows up in my novels. They, they are very visual. They're paced. Uh, very, they're fast-paced uh, in the same way that... Um, you know, I suppose a, a, a television series or a movie would be. I think of the Lily Wong books as being perfect for a television series because of the characters. You know, when you're right. watching a television series, you want to check, you want to spend yeah. time with those characters. And, right. And Tori. to me, that's what the Lily Wong books are, right? I want to spend time. Right. I love writing. I'm writing the third book now, and I, I love it because Good. I get to spend time with these characters. Tori, 
Good. We're thrilled. And it's a way for us to get ninja power ourselves. Thank you very much. And thank you to Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, our engineers, to our producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to our listeners. This week, stay safe, employ your ninja moves, and stay on your toes uh, until next week on Dropping In. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 